Hi, I'm Ian Holmes, and this is SEO in 2024. Ian, what's your number one SEO tip for 2024? My number one tip for SEO in 2024 is to stop chasing Google rankings and focus on the people that matter. Who are the people that matter? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The people that matter are the folks that you're trying to solve pains for with your product, with your service, or with whatever you're creating content for online. So, you know, if you have a niche that you're a part of, or if you're a bigger company, you're going to have somebody that's looking for your product. Hopefully if you're speaking in business and you know, you can't create content for anybody and and imagine that it'll stick. You need to make it more personalized and hope that you'll find the right people at the right time for the right, the right product that you're selling or serving. And, And delving into that in a little bit more depth, how do you find the right people? How do you define the right people? And then how do you establish what the pain is to be talking about? Sure. And you said, clarify, you said find and define the people. Yes. Well, well f- find the right people um, that you should be creating content for. And also, how do you actually define the pain that you should be talking about within your content? Sure. Well, assuming that you have a product that, or a service that offers a solution to something that, you know, somebody needs in their life, that's essentially the pain that you're going to be looking for answering. I love the, it's a pretty classic sales example of if you have a nail, for example, and you're selling nails, <laughs> you're not, you're not selling the nail, you're not selling this piece of metal, you're selling the fact that you can use that nail to hang a picture in your home and make your home uh, more personal and, you know, happy place to be in. Um, so the pain, the pain there isn't so much like I'm looking for something to stick in my wall. <laughs> it's I need something to hang my pictures so I can ha- create a home for my family and show off my experiences in my life and whatever else. And that's essentially the the way that you can think about the pain, putting yourself in the shoes of the person who's ultimately going to use your product or service and thinking about what they're ultimately trying to use it for rather than sometimes even what you want them to use it for. That's uh, also a, an interesting way to to think about it sometimes like you have a product do people use it the way that you want them to or are they using it in a different way that's something that you can uncover during focus groups or uh, on social media or you're looking at even things like Amazon reviews or other product reviews that you might have online as well uh, what about deciding on what piece of content goes where on the buyer journey uh, because obviously it's nice to look at pictures that have been hung up by nails and discover many uses of the product that is a nail. But um, ultimately, if you want to buy a nail, you want to make it easy to purchase. You want to know how long the nail is and um, what material it's made of potentially as well. So some people may want to look at what they can do with nails and some people just may want to buy one. So how do you establish um, the the optimum place in the journey for your piece of content? Sure. Um, So I usually think about it as the, you know, the sales funnel, the traditional sales funnel. First, it's, you know, what are people ultimately searching for on the high level? Like, I need a picture. How do I hang it up? I don't know if we want to keep with this example (laughs) for for this, but but you kind of put yourself in their shoes. How would they how would they first be exploring this? Maybe they're 
going to a photographer and they're looking for getting pictures, portrait of their family or whatever. And, you know, after the awareness phase and they're in the consideration phase, what questions might they be asking when they're considering, you know, I need something to hang this. I found out that I need nails or screws or drywall screws or whatever else. I don't know why I'm such an expert on <laughs> nails and screws. But, you know, first it's the awareness phase where you try and ask the questions that or you try and think about the questions that people are asking. You say, where would they be looking for these answers? Who are they talking to? And what types of content format would you want to present that in? Or would they be looking for it for? Is it a video? Is it a picture? Is it a piece of text-based content? Is it a combination of both? Is it social media? Is it on your website? Is it turning to Google, for example? You kind of think about that throughout all of the steps of the buyer, buyer journey. But first you start, you know, how do they even discover that nails exist? Then you go into now that they know that nails exist, how do they find the best brand of those nails? And then after that, how do they decide that your brand or your product is exactly the one that they're ultimately going to want to purchase in those kind of three steps with all those caveats of what questions are they asking? Who are they going to, whether it's online or offline, to be honest, and then how are they ultimately getting to that decision um, at the end? And how do you ensure that your audience is the right size? Because you don't want too big an audience because then you're probably speaking too broadly to people looking for different things, but you don't want too small an audience because then you're probably not likely to attract enough people to your piece of content. Yeah, that's a tricky one. I'm a fan. I'm going to keep being cliche and taboo. I'm a fan of the statement, uh, niches make riches or <laughs> niches make riches. Basically, thinking about it like not everyone's going to need your product and service. Some people might want to know about it or will need to know about it in the future. But if you focus too big too quickly, you're going to be up against the giant companies, the other people who are already well established in these areas if you're not already one of them. And so it's important in that case to kind of go down a couple levels. You need to cover the basics and the bases as, as well, of course, to establish that you have expertise and authority in these different topical areas, of course. But the deeper down you can go by looking at longer tail keywords, by looking at, again, I think product reviews are a pretty big goldmine, um, by thinking about forums or other places where people are communicating about your and or other products and services, you can start to identify where you fit in among the bigger picture, among the bigger group of people who are considering what you have to offer. And, you know, whether it's by gender, which is one that I don't like because of the industry that I'm in now, of course, or by age or socioeconomic status or whatever else, like there's different ways that your product might fit in. And those are the ways that you can then start to position the content that you're creating, how you're formatting it, you know, what ultimate form that it takes and how you're amplifying it across your platforms as well. So uh, you mentioned longer tail keywords there. A lot of SEOs used to start off with keywords, with then with longer tail keywords, and then build content for that, and then perhaps even think of an audience after that. So do you do it the other way around? Do you think of an audience first of all, then maybe wireframe the content and then look for keywords after that? Yeah, I mean, ultimately... The difficult part, I, so I work in the LGBTQ plus space and not all keywords are inherently 
LGBTQ plus at the end of the day, right? But we know that when we're looking at talking about trying to think of some examples that are a little bit broader, like holiday gifts for men, whatever, you know, that means in this, in this day and age, like when you're looking for that keyword, we're going to position our, our content specific toward gay and trans men or non-binary people who maybe have masculine energies or tendencies. And so we're not going to be particularly like as like broad or stereotypical as maybe another site or brand might be, but we'll be still targeting that keyword just with our unique lens and point of view. And I think the more personal that you can get with that uh, type of situation, the more personal you can be with the content, the more targeted that you can be with the audience by starting with the audience to, to answer your question um, will help you make better, more authentic, stronger connections with folks that will establish longer relationships with them and get them to want to get them to value you the same way that you're expressing that you're valuing them because you're recognizing them in the way that you're talking about and writing about them and the product or service that you have to offer in relation to them and their needs. And digging into your example just a little bit more there. So um, if you were, if your keyword was holiday gifts for men, I mean, would you say uh, in your title, would you, would you try and optimize the keyword phrase for LGBTQ plus as well and incorporate that within the page title and other elements in the page as well, or, or other elements that may appear in the SERP as well? So people click through and see, see that term, or would you generally just optimize for the more generic term there and then um, people people find whatever you find on the landing page sure it's certainly a delicate balance <laughs> and it depends on it depends on the topic if the keyword doesn't already include an lgbtq plus related term in it we often still try to include some sort of modifier in whether it's in the title or the meta description when it shows up in google search to allude to the fact that the content that we're creating is for lgbtq plus people at the same time it's not always inherently necessary i had a conversation with a former client of mine about they were in the financial services industry and we were writing some content around how to create uh like savings and how to invest your money and things like that and there's not a keyword for like, how do I invest my gay money? Like there's not, people don't search, people don't search for that specifically. You just want to know how to invest your money. And so it's important to make sure that when you're covering that topic, that you're being broadly applicable and answering the general question so that anybody who might land on your site can still get a potential answer, obviously. And so that Google will recognize it as valid and, and worth being on the top of the search pages just with everything else that's already there. But for the sake of their product and service, you know, we sort of transition in the middle of the content to be like, okay, here's the general consensus around how to save or invest your money. You know, as a LGBTQ plus person, you're probably looking for businesses or brands or other places that support LGBTQ plus people that are owned and operated by LGBTQ plus people. And then we can kind of get a little deeper into that conversation in the content as well to insert that perspective and make that content more unique and make it more, again, relevant and, and authentic toward the audience that you're looking for, um, while also still answering 
the broader search intent and need that Google is always looking for. It's a, it's again, a very delicate balance, but something that's achievable and that I've had success with uh, here and in the past with other clients. So you've also talked about the importance of creating great customer experiences. How do you measure the SEO value of creating a great customer experience? That one's hard. Oftentimes, search is a more top of funnel or mid funnel area of opportunity, unless you're looking at just specifically like brand keywords and things. So it's really difficult in in many cases to attribute the fact that somebody had a really awesome first touch on your site through a piece of content that they found through search. But there are ways like we we look at, you know, how many email newsletter subscribers or folks signed up for you know, to learn more or to be, to keep in touch with us. Or, you know, sometimes people, depending on the product or service that you offer, can buy if it's a low low barrier to entry product, they might buy right away. And so you can't attribute that. But in most cases, it's looking at things like time on site. Did they go to an additional page that you internally link to? Some of those more like softer, more of like, they're not vanity metrics in that sense. They're more like, Intangible. Yeah, they're they're less tangible for sure. They're they're measurable, but they're still they're not necessarily something that you know when you go to a CEO and you're like, wow, people spent a lot of time on this site. They're like, cool, but did they buy? But that's that's one of the ways that you can definitely point to the fact that if they didn't buy, they still found value, and they'll they'll in theory be more likely to return or to remember you in the future as well. Another key consideration that SEOs and marketers are contemplating at the moment is whether or not to use AI for the creation of their content or as a significant element to the creation of their content. Do you think that it's possible to create a wonderful customer experience from content that has been created using primarily AI? Yeah, I I do think so. Yes. I've been testing some AI assisted content, whether never, it's never fully 100% AI generated, but leveraging AI to not just outline content, but even fill in certain sections or gaps where I'm like, this is general knowledge. Again, sort of going back to that other example that I was stating, like if there's general knowledge about something, that's a great place for AI to sort of color in the lines and let you spend the the majority of your time on the things that matter more about when it comes to that personalization or you know, in the journalism world, like actually conducting the interviews that are associated with the general topic that you're writing about and, you know, spending less time writing the the bones of the article, letting AI kind of handle that. And then you fill in sort of like, here's where a great expert opinion would go. Here's where an awesome social media embed or a YouTube video might belong. And you can spend that time finding, creating, or, you know, some combination of the two, creating those things and, and putting those in instead of you know, having to rewrite that water is wet for the hundred billionth time because a, a million sites have already said that and AI is very well trained and aware on most of those types of things. So if an SEO is struggling for time, what should they stop doing right now so they can spend, spend more time doing what you suggest in 2024? Well, I guess it's top of mind now since you mentioned the AI, but if they're writing basic content, if they're trying to create uh, a nice content ecosystem, like work smarter, not harder. We use AI to your advantage to help create the the basis of what you're doing. And then 
spend the time improving upon it or enhancing it with your own perspective, with your company or your services, unique values with, you know, spend that time creating the video to go along with the content, spend that time to create social media assets to go along with that content. Think about ways that you can automate and improve your processes, leveraging the tools that we have. I don't think it's a bad thing to leverage AI. It actually creates lots of efficiencies and that's good. that'll be my <laughs> answer for that, for that question there. Ian Helms is Director of Growth Marketing at Q Digital, and you can find him over at q.digital. Ian, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2024. Thank you. I've been your host, David Bain. Get your copy of SEO in 2024, the book, over at seoin2024.com. <laughs>